0: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Hang with me. It's going to get a little bit weird for a little bit, but I promise you it's actually going to be okay. Uh, So what do psychedelics and mushrooms have to do with Jesus? The answer to that is really nothing, but uh, you may be surprised if you've never heard this theory before. There's a lot of people out there that actually believe that Jesus was a mushroom. (laughs) That's kind of oversimplifying it, but that's essentially the point uh, there was a scholar/slash archaeologist by the name of John Marco Allegro. He wrote a book decades ago called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And in this book, he said, Well, let me let me tell you. Uh, so, John Marco Allegro, he was um, actually a scholar that participated in the translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. For those of you who don't know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, these ancient, ancient uh, documents that were found. Um, a number of years ago, they were kind of accidentally stumbled upon by, uh, I believe it was a group of Bedouins um, in a cave, these scrolls that were found in these clay pots. And they, what happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls is that they contained a lot of information that actually filled in a lot of gaps and confirmed a lot of things in terms of the the historicity and the accuracy of old testament passages of scripture and so in these dead sea scrolls they had a you know a group of of people i'm not sure how many people were involved in the project but of translating the dead sea scrolls and um john marco allegro was on that team of people that was part of the uh, the translators for the dead sea scrolls he was an agnostic I don't know if he used to be a Christian. I can't remember if he used to be a Christian and then kind of um, walked away from his faith or what the case was. But he was agnostic and being part of this team for translating the Dead Sea Scrolls. He really wanted to find a kind of rational, reasonable explanation for. The Bible for the things that were written, for these miraculous things that were written by people um, about God and things that God was doing, and and all this kind of stuff, right? And finding a sort of a more rational understanding for who Jesus was, and just so much stuff. And so uh, John Marco Allegro he wrote this book called *The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross*. I'm not, I'm not to, recommend it to anybody. The reason I actually haven't read the book, I've just heard about this, and actually I wanted to kind of use this as sort of a a microcosm to a more Um, macro discussion that I want to have today about how I think that there's some phenomenon that's going on in our world today where there are so many people that are so interested in finding ways to continue to reject and deny the existence of God, the existence of a creator, the, the, the reality of intelligent design to hold on to their own worldview., uh, you know, this ev- evolutionary stuff comes into play here. and and all, all so many things come into play here. I want to kind of talk about some different different things here. but but there's like this a- agenda that that people have that they don't want to walk away from. They're not willing to walk away from. And so actually, what people start doing is they start to, discuss all of these other theories. Well, maybe it was this or maybe it was that to try and discount or to disqualify or to disprove, which nobody can ultimately do. To, they've tried for years for forever to disprove the accuracy, the reliability, the historicity of scripture, that the events that were discussed um that that are that are told about that were passed down from generation to generation that have resulted in the Bible that you and I have today. And, and there's been just such an agenda, of course, to discredit and to disprove the Bible. There's people that are going to come up to you and they'll tell you things like, you know, the Bible's been debunked we already know that so much of this stuff they'll they'll explain to you how you know different things are explainable what the burning bush really was it was actually symbolic of something else there's people out there that are going to tell you that well the red sea it was really the the reed sea and it was normal for that part of the 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 the, the sea to dry up at that time of year. And so it, God never parted the waters. People were able to just walk across because it was so shallow. And that makes sense. That makes logical, rational sense. Okay, maybe that was a mistranslation from read to read, even though that makes sense in our language as far as the translation goes. But and anyway, it, that could make sense in a rational, logical way. Okay, well, I could see that, except for the fact that Pharaoh's army was drowned, in the in the water when the waters were unparted. So it just it, it it's stuff like that that doesn't hold up. But if we are not careful as the people of God, people will come in and people will try to take this kind of haughty approach over you where they'll try to present to you a different worldview and they'll make you feel like you are at a disadvantage and that you somehow have to prove yourself that the burden of proof is actually on you. I want to, I don't know, maybe just empower somebody today when it comes to defending your faith, whether that's defending your faith to somebody else or you just having a strong defense within yourself of something to stand on that, that you know that's real, that you believe in, that you can put your hope and confidence in, that you are actually not the, the one on whom rests the burden of proof. Now, I'm not saying that as a blanket statement, but what I'm saying is people will come to you and because it is secularly very widely accepted that, for example, the theory of evolution is true, right? And so it's not discussed any longer. The theory of evolution, that's all it is, is it's it's a theory. Charles Darwin discussed it as a theory, right? Like he presented it as a theory. He presented it originally really as an argument, and so he presents this theory and it's been grabbed onto by almost everybody or, or the majority, I would say definitely the majority of people in secular science. By the way, I don't believe that science is in nature secular, that science and God are not opposites. And that's something that Another thing that the world tries to do, and they try to put that on you, they try to put that on God's people, that somehow God versus science, that God is separate from science, that Christianity is anti-science, and that is simply not the case at all. There is nothing in the nature of God that contradicts the nature of science. God created the heavens and the earth. God God, God created scientific processes that exist in this world that you and I live in. And so to be Christian is not to be anti-science, to believe in the theory of creationism, that that, that we live in a world that is marked by intelligent design, that there's fine-tuning in our universe, there's fine-tuning in every single cell, in every single organism on this planet. To accept that is not to reject science. To believe in miracles is not to reject science. Just because science does not know how to accurately explain a miracle because it is by definition a divine happening. But if you believe that this world came into existence through creation, then you believe in an intelligent creator, right? you you believe in somebody who is outside of who is above his creation who has every right to step in and to impact creation as he sees fit but to 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 think this idea that the that the world tries to put on Christians to say that that because you are a Christian you are anti science or that science and god simply do not mix that they're enemies of each other is simply not the case. All right. So the <laughs> so I just want you to recognize that, you know, because there are people that will come at you with these arguments. And just because the argument is widely accepted by, you know, maybe 90% of the people that you go to school with or that you work with or that you interact with on a daily basis or whatever, that so many people have gravitated, have accepted this belief of evolution. It's just talked about it. I even hear, you know, a lot of Christians that that talk about evolution in terms of just something that's normal. You know, they'll talk about the earth being billions of years old. and they'll talk about the processes of evolution and 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 the evolution from animals uh, for you know, from different animals to other animals, eventually to humans and and all this kind of stuff. And it's just something that's kind of been engraved into the minds and into the consciousness of so many people. Again, even, Many Christians that are out there. Now, I don't think there's any problem. Like, if, if we found out definitively tomorrow that, oh, yeah, it actually is proven the world really is billions of years old, I think they say 13 point something billion years old, or, or you know, whatever it is, that if we found out, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the earth really is billions and billions of years old, I don't think that that does anything to disprove, to discredit what we believe in terms of creation. This earth could be as old as it wants to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. And then it says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then we begin this, this creation process. The Holy Spirit is hovering on the waters. And this creation process begins to take place where God begins to form trees out of the ground. And he begins to form processes of, of, of science where processes begin to take place and God begins to step in, we don't know how much time passed between verses one, two, three, four. It's, we 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 just we just don't know. The Bible talks about days, and so I don't have any problem with that being a literal twenty-four hour period of time. But the thing is, it's talking about evening and morning. were the first day, evening and morning, were the second day, evening and morning, were the third day. I think it's not until day four, if I remember correctly, that the the sun was actually created, which is what gives definition to us, to our day, to what a day and a night is, you know, the, the, a revolution of the earth is, or a, a rotation or, or a revolution of, of the earth is a day. And then a trip around the sun is a year, 365 days, right? That didn't happen until the fourth day. And so these days that are mentioned in scripture, we don't know for sure. We don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not those were literal 24 hour days. They certainly could have been. We don't know if God took millions of years to kind of (laughs) brew over what he was doing and really decided to take his time. And we don't know how much time passes between verses one and two. We don't know how much time passes between in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and then when he actually started to go through the seven-day process or the six-day process, seven-day process of of creating everything and bringing everything into existence. Like we just don't know. There's pieces of the puzzle that that we just don't know. And so ultimately, that's the, that kind of stuff doesn't need to shake your faith one way or another. But when people come to you, this is what I'm trying to get at, just because it's been widely accepted that evolution is the real thing, the Big Bang Theory, that everything came from nothing, that all this kind of stuff... Look, they have no, all they have are theories and they can look at things and they can observe things and they have these giant telescopes that can see supposedly like, like thousands and maybe millions of light years out into the, the, the void of space and, and all of that. And so, supposedly, so what they've been, um, noticing or at least what the evidence seems to be pointing to and you've heard about this is that the universe is actually expanding that is actually getting larger that that it's constantly expanding which would mean that if you were to trace it all the way back the other direction back in time which obviously we can't do But based on what they're able to observe, they say that if they were to trace it back the other way, that it eventually, when you get back to the beginning of time, that it started, there was a finite moment where everything came into existence. And since then, it's been expanding. Now, we would call that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Or we would call that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We would look back to the Genesis account for what started that? What was that cataclysmic um, thing that took place that actually caused everything to come into existence, that created this ever expanding universe that, that scientists are now believing that they're observing. Of course, science, most of, most of, of science would, or the traditional view of science would call that the Big Bang. But the one question that nobody actually, there's a couple of these, but one of the big questions that nobody seems to be able to answer is where did that come from? What was it? How did nothing come from, or excuse me, how did everything come from nothing? At some point, there had to be something, and how did that something get there? And it's a question that nobody can answer. It's a question that is impossible to answer. And so you have i mean billions of dollars a year devoted to theoretical physics and and all of these different things all of these concepts and and things that were we've got are the best minds in the world working on trying to discover? We've got the CERN, you know, particle collider trying to observe this thing that they call the God particle. You know, uh, speeding these particles up to like the speed of light or whatever it is, colliding them into each other and trying to create these controlled environment explosions to try to observe these things that can that can happen that they think is going to give them. Uh, clues or is going to give them information that they can data that they can calculate and quantify to try to discover what are the building blocks of life? What created this? Where did this come from? How did this all come into existence? And all of the years that they've been doing stuff like that and experiment after experiment, they're no closer. All they have are more questions and they're no closer. They've made some pretty cool discoveries and they've understood some things and they can, you know, it's, it's, it's great. But but they're no closer to being able to answer this fundamental question, how did this all start? Where did it all come from? Because if there is no intelligent design, if there is no creator, if there is no fine tuning, then how did all this happen in the first place? Now, here's another question that is really impossible and difficult for, for, for science to, to answer apart from God. It's how is it that everything is so fine tuned? Right? Like everything is fine tuned. Everything within your body, within a blade of grass, within the birds in the sky, within every molecule that exists, there is fine tuning. Every cell in your body, the billions and billions of cells that are in your body, every single one of them points to the fact that there has to be intelligent design behind this because the cells in your body, every single cell, Every single cell in your body is so finely tuned and organized, with the, the the proteins and 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 everything is is in this incredible balance. There's this incredible balance that exists in every cell in your body. There's this incredible balance that exists here on planet Earth, and there's an incredible balance that exists throughout the observable universe that is holding everything together. And if that balance is not right by even a uh, anything, by any sort of calculation. If, if if that balance is off just a little bit, the cells in your body don't hold together. There's a certain amount of, of tension. There's a certain amount of balance that, that has to be fine-tuned. And the question that evolutionists really cannot answer, they really can't answer this question, is that In order for evolutionary processes, let's assume that if evolution was real, we still have a problem. How did the beginning of evolutionary processes begin to take shape? Because evolutionary processes cannot even start. They can't begin to happen unless we start with some kind of fine-tuning at the very beginning when we trace this thing all the way back, and they don't have an answer. And so here's what happens is we go to outer space, right? Like we start looking to, to space. We start looking hundreds of millions of light years in the distance. We start looking. And by the way, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. I know they say they have these, these, uh, uh, what is it? The, the James Webb telescope is this like incredible Thing right now i don't know i mean i'm not saying it's not it's not real they can't really see that far i'm just a little bit skeptical about it because it seems crazy far (laughs) what they could actually see these images that come back and it's it's incredible it's it's incredible stuff but what they're doing is they're going millions of light years out to find answers they're inventing theories like string theory and the multiverse the multiverse is fun you know especially if you're like a comic book fan if you're into like spider-man and marvel and stuff like that like it's super cool it's super fun to think about a multiverse the idea with a multiverse is that not only is the universe that you and i exist in but there's also an infinite possibly number of infinite so think about infinite like infinity there's there's possibly an infinite number of universes happening all around us that you and I can't see, that you and I can't access, that you and I don't have any way to get to or to perceive, but that according to the, the multiverse theory that there are potentially an infinite number of, of, of universes happening, that there may be an infinite number of versions of you out there in existence because when we start thinking about infinity and we start thinking in these terms, then it starts to become unquantifiable and it starts to allow us to go down this path of theoretical thinking, of theoretical mechanics, theoretical dynamics to say, well, we don't have all the answers because what we're able to observe is like nothing compared to all perce- uh, all uh, potentially knowable data that's happening out there. And so what happens is we take the focus off of being able to even answer the question and we start to theorize all these different things to say well maybe it's this and we can't know for sure that it's not this because we can't really observe it. And so we start talking about all these theoretical things that like <laughs> here's the thing like I'm I'm totally cool with um you know science and people thinking and coming up with all these ideas and theories and all this kind of stuff but there is zero Proof. There's zero evidence for a multiverse. It's cool to talk about, it's cool to think about, but there is zero evidence because nobody in history has even an inkling of how they would possibly be able to observe it. There's zero evidence. And yet, we've got so much evidence that would point to a creator. We've got so much evidence that points to divine intelligent design. I mean just look at you. Look at this oh you can't look at the cells in your body but just think about it. if you if you really want to blow your mind I mean just like google google this stuff like like to to see the, the, the intricacy of a of a of a of the code of DNA that exists inside every single cell of your body and then try to imagine that level of intricacy and design and balance and perfection coming into existence without the aid <laughs> without the mind of an intelligent creator there is so much fine tuning that goes on in every single involved in every single process of existence human and otherwise that it just the most logical explanation i mean we again so we can start talking about all this multiverse kind of stuff and 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 the thing about it that that makes that uh an appealing argument is that if everything is random right like the idea of evolution is random mutations and if we think about the fact that you know maybe there's 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 billions and maybe trillions and maybe an infinite number of galaxies and then this is only one ver- this is only one universe and then maybe there's an infinite number of universes out there We humans here on planet Earth, planet Earth just happened to get it all right. But like planet Earth just happened to have all of the necessary building blocks of life all of the proximity to the celestial bodies the perfect size of earth in relation to the size of our sun to the re- in relation to the distance in relation to the 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 tilt of the axis in relation to just everything had to be absolutely perfect in order to sustain life on earth now if we're talking about a finite number of galaxies if we're talking about like a couple of million galaxies out there or whatever, then in order for that to happen statistically, it just doesn't make sense. And scientists know that. But now there's all of these theories, these theoretical things that are that are that are going on that's like well maybe there's a multiverse maybe there's an infinite amount and so maybe there's an infinite amount of planets that are out there that are just like ours that by accident got to where they are because everything just happened that way it was a complete accident you you know you're, you're just you're an accident your life is an accident like the planet earth it's all just an accident it's all just cosmic mutations and these things that took place and it's why we're here and hey guess what People will talk to you about that stuff and they'll sound smart or they'll think that they sound smart. And because it's a little bit, because it's acceptable, because it's quote unquote science, they'll they'll people will think like we can kind of default sometimes to think that we're actually as christians and 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 believing in creationism that it, you know we can talk in a way where we kind of put ourselves at a disadvantage or we allow other people to put us at a disadvantage where the burden of proof is on us to try to prove why to try to prove you know why we believe what you believe do you really believe that do you really believe that there's a big man up in the sky that created everything well guess what there's actually proof for it there's actually evidence for it now, you do have. I'm not saying there, there's definitive proof that doesn't require any faith. Of course, it requires faith. I just think it requires way less faith than it does to believe that all this happened by accident and just ended up in the absolute perfection. Now, the other thing that people will say is, well, if God is real, then why, why would he allow war? Why would he program our minds to violence? Why would he program us with these different things? And the answer to that, I believe, and we can go to, to see this all the way in the fall. God did not program his people with evil intentions, with violence in mind, with cruelty in mind, but he did create us as free moral agents. He created us with free will. And so man chose to step outside of God's uh, plan. That's what it is. Man chose to step outside of God's plan because mankind wanted, this was Adam and Eve in the garden. They wanted, there was this thing that happened. It was a deception that took place where man wanted knowledge apart from God. Man wanted knowledge and understanding apart from having to trust and rely in in God in everything that he was saying that it was true so 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 the enemy cuz the enemy comes in with this question has God really said you shouldn't eat from the tree well guess what God actually knows gen- this is genesis chapter 3 God actually knows that in the day that you eat of that fruit that your eyes are going to be opened you're going to be enlightened you're going to know good and evil you're going to be just like God in other words <coughs> excuse me in other words God is hiding something from you God is holding something back from you, and so man kind of felt like that that thing inside. When I say man, I just mean I'm talking. Really, it was it was Eve, and then Adam, or you know what, whatever, however your interpretation of that is. But I'm using man in terms of mankind. I'm just talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, the fall, the fall of man, the fall of mankind, the giving into this deception to say. No, we've got a better way or I think I can make my way apart from God. This humanistic pride thing that was demonically rooted that rose up in God's people to say, no, I'm not going to go your way, God. I'm going to choose to do this on my own. I want this knowledge and I want it apart from you. That's what we're doing today. That's what all these theories are. We're seeking to have knowledge apart from God. I can't explain the foundations of how the universe came into being and I'm not willing to accept the existence of a creator so I'm going to have to theorize all these other things that actually become way more far-fetched than the actual truth they actually become like like that's way more like that takes way more brain power and everything to try to figure out well but maybe if everything was just perfect and there was this and there was that and there was an infinite number of possibilities and all this then it could come into existence or we could believe what makes so much sense and it's that there is intelligent design because all that really has to happen for you to believe that there's some kind of intelligent design. I'm not I'm not even talking right now about becoming a Christian. I'm just talking about believing that, that there's intelligent design, that there's fine-tuning. And fine-tuning means of necessity that there has to be a fine-tuner. Because fine-tuning doesn't just happen by accident. The second law of thermodynamics states that entropy increases. In other words, that systems over time become more and more disorderly. That's a natural law. That's a natural law. Everything about evolution goes completely against that natural law. That systems over time, if left alone, if left unchecked, if not manipulated by some outside force, they are going to become more and more disorderly over time. Systems are going to break down over time. Cells don't get more and more complex over time by leaving them alone and doing nothing. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't even make Sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's it, I, I just I just think, and I know, of course I'm biased because I'm a Christian and I grew, <laughs> I grew up a Christian and, and all of that. So of course I'm biased. But I just think like it takes way less mind-bending to believe that this all came into existence with purpose with order with design with intelligence and not just some infinite number of possibilities that ultimately means makes it so that you have no real there's no real meaning in life because everything is just an accident so anyway back to the mushrooms i don't know why why i i got off of that so quick but so that was kind of like the macro discussion of why i just wanted to kind of rant just riff a little bit on some of this stuff today Um, So there's this there's this theory because I'm bringing this up. I'm just kind of using this as an example because people will come to you and they'll be like, yeah, well, what about this? Have you have you uh, heard about so and so's work on this? And, And they'll present these other theories of why things are the way that they are. You know, people will come and try to discount the resurrection of Jesus. They'll try to discount whether or not Jesus actually existed or not. There's so much historical evidence, there's so much literary evidence, there's so much um, writing and, and just evidence that is not just from the Bible. Now, the Bible is a very historical document that many, many secular uh, people out there would actually use as a reference because the records of history maintained throughout Scripture are very accurate when compared against other sources. And what's really interesting about the Bible is that the more discoveries that they make, the more they uncover different different archaeological uh, things. The d- d- discoveries—it's n- none of this stuff is coming back and and making people question the Bible's authenticity or historicity more. Whenever these archaeological discoveries are made, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, finding those Dead Sea Scrolls, like that could have been a really bad day for Christianity if it was discovered that those scrolls that had been preserved for like uh, 2,500 years or whatever it was, that they had all this contradictory stuff. But that's not what happened. They filled in a lot of gaps. It, it 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 confirmed so much of what was told I, this is this is how I, I, I think about this it's like like let's just say you know if you if you have a um a d- distant relative like way in the past like generations ago you had a relative let's say um a great 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 you know however many generations grandfather who fought in the civil war and there's this legend about your great 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 grandfather who fought in the Civil War, that, that that's just kind of been passed down from generation to generation. That there's all this stuff, right? That there's the there's these stories about how he was such a great man. Maybe he was an abolitionist, and and there's all this stuff. There's these great stories that were passed down through the years that your family has held on to, and it's become just uh, just a beautiful. Testimony of who this man was is somebody that you respect a lot. You're excited to talk about him, you're excited to tell people about him whenever the civil war comes up. You talk about your great, 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 great great-grandfather and all this kind of stuff, right? So you have this lore around his life, and you have um, you don't have any physical evidence. All you have is the story was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, and now it's with you and you are keeping the story going. Wouldn't it be devastating to discover, you know, some old journal that came back, right? That was your great, 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 great grandfather's journal from the war. And wouldn't it be so devastating to find out that the writings, that his writings in this journal just painted him to be just a despicable, just a scoundrel. So your, your, your great, great, great grandfather ends up being this like scoundrel when you thought he was a war hero. Wouldn't that be devastating, right? But let's say the opposite happens. And you find this journal is discovered and its authenticity is proven that this journal actually belonged to your relative. You start going through this journal and there's accounts. There's like his own corroboration from his own pen in his own words about so many of the stories that you had heard that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. They'd been preserved through the years, through the generations, and you found evidence of it in this book. Wouldn't that journal, wouldn't those writings serve to confirm this story that had been passed down? Absolutely. Well, that's the kind of stuff that happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that's the kind of stuff that has happened over and over again with different findings, with different archaeological discoveries and things of that nature. Time and time again, they don't come back and disprove or discredit the writings of scripture. They actually enhance and they actually corroborate a lot of the things. That's called evidence. I want to submit to you that there is so much more burden of proof placed on the authenticity and the historicity of the Bible than there is on any other ancient work throughout history. There is so much more accuracy in the Bible in terms of the way that it had been preserved, like so much more evidence of its authenticity than any of these other ancient works. Like uh, you know, Homer's The the Odyssey, The the Iliad, um, the writings of, uh, of of Julius Caesar and uh, Marcus Aurelius and these different works that had been, you know, preserved and passed down. We wouldn't we don't question those. We don't question the historicity or the authenticity or the fact that this guy existed. We don't do that at all. And yet there's so much more, like substantially more evidence for the existence of Jesus. There's so much more evidence when you you look at not just the Bible itself, but other writings from around that time period, the writings of Josephus and others that actually uh, discuss the same kinds of things happening at at that same time. But there's just so much like there's such a desire, there's such an agenda to disprove and to discredit that. When these things happen, when these things are discovered, the same weight is not placed on them. And I just don't want you to feel like, um, now look, I, I believe in knowing about these things. I I, I believe in uh, apologetics. I believe in studying to show thyself approved. I believe in digging into history and and, and arming yourself as much as possible so that you can help other people maybe come to the same knowledge of the truth that you have. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that kind of, they, they need that, you know, maybe it was somewhat easier for you to accept by faith. um, Jesus, or maybe you grew up in a Christian home or, you know, whatever it might be, praise God that you came to the faith. There's people out there that, that do need more of a, they need evidence and and what's really interesting <coughs> sorry about that what's really interesting is that there have been so many people like so many people that have set out on a journey with an agenda to either disprove god or to you know actually get into the the history um, and, and to actually get into this stuff to, to maybe not not necessarily to disprove the existence of God, but to but to find the truth, to find answers. And so many people with the overwhelming amount of evidence that they end up discovering for themselves, unable to deny the reality of it, that end up <laughs> accepting Jesus, accepting the creator accepting God, giving their lives to him, becoming Christians because of the evidence. So I believe in, in, in becoming equipped to talk about these things, to discuss these things, to have good natured arguments, not for the sake of winning a debate or putting somebody else down. But, you know, I just, um, sometimes I feel like people will come at you with, you know, some kind of, knowledge or or, or or thinking or theory or understanding that has been so shrouded by just public opinion and confirmation bias and recency bias that they're able to present it in a pointed way that can like sometimes make God's people who may not have a strong, you know, argument or understand the argument, they know they believe it and why they believe it, but they kind of end up at a, at a, at a disadvantage and not able to, you know, stand up. To, to to that uh, you know argument that's being brought their way, and unfortunately, some people can end up being even persuaded. Well, maybe this isn't as true as I thought it was. And why do I actually believe this? And and all of that. And I, I'm telling you, if you really get into the evidence, it still requires faith. But your faith is not blind. The world will try to put this idea on you that your faith is blind. And oh well, yeah, no, I get it. You know, I get it. If you if you need to to believe that Jesus is your savior, if you really need that crutch, if you, you know, it can help you for sure. You know, being a part of a worshiping community and people that believe in God, there's definite communal value in that and and it can help you be a better person. And they'll try to reduce it down to this kind of cute thing that's good for some people. No, like, this is life. Jesus is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't this middle ground. There isn't like this middle area of no like he's good for some people no he is good for every person. But they'll they'll the world will try to make you feel like you know you've just got this kind of cute thing that you're believing in because you have to because it's your crutch because it's how you get by in life. But anyway, so um there's this there there was this idea proposed that Uh, that Jesus, that the name Jesus was derived from this kind of ancient Sumerian word that was code for a kind of mushroom like uh, psilocybin or something like that. That's this psychedelic mushroom that has properties that, you know, if if you know anything about mushrooms, I've never, (laughs) I've never done mushrooms. I've never done any, any uh, illegal drugs or anything like that actually, but, but that there's these hallucinogenic trips that can take place with with mushrooms and so that jesus was actually a a code for a type of mushroom that actually psychedelics were the pathway that god's people would use to get to know god and and there's this there's this idea because many people that experiment with mushrooms and with psychedelics they've had these experiences that they believe to be spiritual experiences where they've had these encounters with God-like or angel-like or you know demon-like even uh, beings that seem very very real. That when they're having these trips, that that the meaning of of, of the universe, like even though they can't understand it and quantify it, that 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 it begins to make more sense. That there's this immense beauty and involved, and there's like all of this stuff. It's like another dimension. That there's this place in your mind that can be chemically unlocked that actually allow you to commune with these higher powers or maybe it's just some other form of consciousness that we're not able to reach or for some people it's god that and, and there's christians out there that believe that they can commune with god there's there's i would call them cults but there are um there's a there's a big uh, kind of a famous one in brazil and there's I mean here in the United States as well but there's there's uh these these sects or these cults that are based on you know Christianity they're they're based on the the Christian religion but they believe that they're able to at the very least enhance their perception of God their communion with God and even their community with each other through psycho tripping on you know on mushrooms and so they have these communal gatherings like worship services where they would in, in group, they would, uh, you know, ingest this uh, psilocybin or whatever it, it is that they're using. And they would have be able to have these experiences that they believe is them commuting and connecting with God. Now, I believe that it's demonic. I believe that they're accessing a part of of their whether it's just a, a part of their brain or consciousness or whatever, whatever the, the chemical thing that's happening there. The thing that's interesting about it is that a lot of people kind of report the same kinds of things, similar experiences. But of course, there's a lot of people that report, you know, really bad (laughs) trips as well. And so this can't be the way to get to know God. But that was kind of the theory uh, that John Marco Allegro uh, was, was discussing here, that Jesus was not actually um, the, the savior of the world, but that he was more so, and this gets pretty vulgar. I'm not going to get super vulgar with it, but that Jesus was actually a, a code for this mushroom that the people of God would ingest and they would use it to reach that spiritual ecstasy. And then they go all the way back and they say that the, that the Christian belief that this, you know, God centered belief is actually, you know, has its basis in fertility cults and like this weird like sacrifice type stuff and orgiastic cultic behavior and that, you know, mushrooms were at the root and the foundation of all of it and that ultimately the stories that were written down, they were misinterpreted or they were mistranslated or they were written down in code or whatever the case might be, But it's not real things that happen like the burning bush that Moses saw was not really a burning bush that Moses was like tripping balls, you know, like (laughs) like he was out there having some kind of a trip. And it was a psychoactive experience that he was having with God, but it was initiated by a substance. And so, you know, there's this idea that we can use these substances to enhance our communion and our communication with God. And let me just tell you, like, see, to me, this is, and this is so obvious to me when I hear people talking like this, it's like, bro, like you're just inventing a theory to try to rationalize something that is like way easier to accept if you just get rid of your preconceived biases and these preconceived notions that you're holding on to that you just at the root of it, you just don't want to accept, like, just admit you don't want to accept this and maybe you'll stop trying to like find this necessity to create something else to fill that void because that void has to be filled with something it's got to be filled with something now i'm not saying that people don't have you know profound experiences when they're on on drugs or whatever but what i'm saying is that it's a counterfeit to the real thing Like when the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is so much better than a high because he's real, because he's a person. He's not an escape. He's your life. He's everything. And when we try to reduce the story of the gospel to something that's good for some people, but not for everybody when we try to make it all about, well, it's all about the experience. No, it's not all about the experience. Of course, there are experiences with God, but it is not all about that. It's about your life in Christ. He came and he died for you. He gave his life for you so that you can live, so that you can live eternally. And it's something that we just don't want to accept. And I think there's roots in the in the reason of why we don't want to accept this, that we can trace back to like the modernists and the postmodernists and this path or this journey from having to have a reliance on a god on, on God and to be able to rely on ourselves. This sort of nihilistic existentialism that was that was brought about by by Nietzsche and, and, and people of that era, the, the philosophers of, of that era that were kind of proposing like the, the, the classic Nietzsche thing is that, you know, God is dead. In other words, God never existed. So this idea of God is dead in our minds. So throw off all your inhibitions because you don't owe allegiance to a God anymore. So just live your own life and do what you want. That ultimately leads to really dark places. And it was kind of a catalyst that, that, that kind of grew and progressed and got us to the place where we are now because it, it kind of morphed into this postmodern kind of kind of movement where it was like, there is no absolute truth. There is no, this absolute truth thing doesn't exist. So truth is what you want it to be. So what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And let's leave it at that. But it's morphed into this other thing where today we're kind of beyond that where it's, it's no longer um, my truth is my truth. And your truth is your truth. It's, it's no, my truth is my truth and you have to accept my truth as if it's the truth. And, and and it's like constantly like morphing into this next thing. We're creating like like monsters <laughs> running amok in society. We're destroying the fabric of 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 life and community and family and and so many things. Because going tracing this thing back, it's this unwillingness to accept something that actually makes so much more sense there is a God out there who loves you. That there is a God out there who created. That there is an intelligent mind. And there is fine-tuning in the fabric of every single aspect of creation. And and, and truthfully, this goes, the the, uh, descent into darkness goes all the way back to what we were just talking about in Genesis chapter 3. It goes all the way back there. This desire in the heart of man to say, God, I don't want to accept your way fully because I don't know if I can fully trust you. So I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to try it this way and see if I can figure this out on my own. And it's that thing. It's that fall. It's it's, it's the, the fallenness of humanity, the sinfulness of humanity. That is the reason why we have these things today. Like the war that we have, the violence that we have, the propensity of people toward evil. It's not because God programmed us that way. God didn't program us that way. God programmed us. God created us. God made us. God designed us. God formed us like a potter molding clay in his image and according to his likeness. And he breathed himself into us. He set us up for success in the most epic way imaginable. And man squandered it because of pride. Because of this question of maybe I don't need God for this, and the only way that that was even possible is because God loved us so much that He didn't want to create us as robots, but He wanted to create us with free will. And so uh, people will will try to uh, diminish and they'll try to try to just um, downplay the faith that you have. Just remember, like they need. Just as much, if not more faith to believe whatever it is that they believe. Because when we really distill this stuff back and we think about stuff, even if we want to think logically, reasonably, okay, like it might not be the most logical or reasonable from a secular standpoint thing in the world to say God exists. But even for the people who say the Big Bang is the thing and, and evolution and, and, and this is the reason and there's a multiverse or there's whatever, still none of that answers the question of where did it all come from? So whether you believe in the miracle of, of life from the standpoint of, you know, God is real, God exists and God created everything, if you you could believe in that miracle or you can believe in the miracle of the big bang where everything came from nothing. And 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 I just think all we have to do is open our eyes and open our thinking to understand the intricacy of the life and the existence of everything around us, to to recognize that there is, there is fine tuning and there, and there is intelligent design. And um, I wanted to just make reference to something earlier as I was talking, and uh, it's let me, let me let me just go to it, real quick and read. Some Bible, because I haven't done that like this whole time. I mentioned some Bible, but I haven't read any Bible. So I just want to read from Colossians chapter one, just a couple of verses. Starts around verse 15 or so. All right. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 17 again. He is before all things. And in him, all things consist. All things consist in Jesus. So we're talking about, you know, the nature of the world that we live in and why, you know, how everything is held together in this immensely intricate and delicate balance. That if like one protein in the cells of your body was off, if one if one of those proteins stopped to function d- didn't function correctly didn't have the right coding within it or you know whatever if that fine tuning was not there to the most Im- impressive beyond our imagination beyond our comprehension degree that your body would not hold together your cells you would not exist the universe as we know it would not exist it can't there's something holding us all together. We're held together because God perfectly designed us, intricately. He designed us, talking about humans, in in his image. He made a world for us to live in and to enjoy. And it says that all things consist in him. There's there's another scripture that says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And I believe we can trace that all the way back. God spoke in the beginning. He said, let there be light. The uh, the original translation of that is light be and light already was. That from the moment that God spoke, he spoke this all into existence. That his word is what brought everything into existence. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that as well. All things exist exist. Because of the word of God, we're held together by the word of His power, and so I just wanted to to rant and ramble a little bit. Uh, I know I went back and forth between like a like some a few different things that seemingly don't have any connection. I apologize if that didn't um, work the best way for your mind, like it was kind of working in my mind. But I, I I feel like there's there's just so many things that happen today where there's people out there, uh, you know, just just People, people that are amazing, amazing people, they just haven't come to the knowledge of the truth, and and there's this uh, agenda or this this need within people to kind of fill that void or to 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 find answers. And when we start from the presupposition that God does not exist, so we've got to find something else, then we've ultimately got to go down these crazy rabbit trails that end up, I believe, ultimately requiring us to have a lot more faith, a lot more blindly than what it is to actually believe in and accept the fact that there's a creator out there who loves you. Um, It'd be good for us to do another session in the future here on, you know, some of the more just kind of... evidences and 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 things like that that lend to the authenticity to the historicity of scripture to the existence of Jesus and and even the resurrection of Jesus and all this kind of stuff there's been some podcasts in the past if you go back around i think uh episode 100 or so 100 you know somewhere between like 97 and 103 somewhere in that in that zone i had a couple of conversations with some uh real scholars that that really study this stuff on on the resurrection and on the the authenticity of scripture the canon of the canonization of scripture and stuff like that so encourage you guys to check that stuff out or just you know go ahead and um and and find some stuff on your own But I do appreciate you all very much for your time and allowing me to rant with you throughout this session. So appreciate you guys very much. Hope you have an awesome, awesome week. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms or on the Facebook page. Check out my website, simplepowermedia.com if you're interested in some other resources and some things that I have available for you there. I love you all. Hope you have an awesome week and I will see you next time.